This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. This is Life Beats. Life Beats with Sally Musa. Only on Pulse 95. Pulse 95. Assalamu alaikum, hello, Allah, and welcome to Life Beats with me, Sally Musa. Now, Public Health England has reported that hospital admissions for eating disorders in girls aged just 10 years old have increased by 146% since 2013 and 14, with a total of 2,196 hospital admissions for eating disorder of children and young people aged between 10 and 24 years in 2017 and 2018. The report also states that an overwhelming 91% of these were of girls and 1,326 of them were girls aged 13 to 17. Today, we have a special show talking eating disorders with Dr. Khadija Musa, co-founder, clinical director, and Reham Al-Rashid, co-founder at Wise Mind Center. What are eating disorders and why are the numbers going up and what can we do about it? If you have experience with an eating disorder or you know someone who did or you have questions and comments, please do get in touch with us here on 4215 on the text lines. Or you can direct message us on Instagram at Pulse95 Radio. Of course, all comments and questions will be kept anonymous lots coming up right here on life beats on pulse 95 this is pulse 95 you're listening to the life beats podcast this is life beats life beats with sally musa only on pulse 95 pulse 95 it is life beats on pulse 95 now We've seen Kuwaiti-American fashion blogger Askia on the cover of this month's Cosmo with the statement, bullying, bulimia, anorexia, been there, survived it. Experts say that content on Instagram that encourages eating disorders is spiraling out of control. And although pushback has started with the likes of the Iway movement, spearheaded by British accent, uh, actress Jamila Jamil, who herself fought eating disorders, we're seeing hospital admissions for girls with eating disorders higher than ever. With social media pressures, the struggle is more common than you might think. With those suffering from eating disorders, including everyone from royalty to athletes to children and everyone in between. It is not just girls and women who are affected as well. There is so much here to unpack with the topic, a lot to talk about. So I'm very pleased to be welcoming into the studio today, Dr. Khadija Musa and Reham Al-Rashid. Welcome back. Great to have you both with us. Great to have you both with us uh, here today. This is uh, such a, an important topic, but there's a lot to talk about here in terms of what actually constitutes an eating disorder to begin with. Because you know, where where does the line happen between um, you know just having issues with food and to it transforming to becoming something that is an eating disorder, Dr. Khadija? Yeah, so that's a, a really good question. Um, so uh, what makes up an eating disorder is that it's uh, really uh, significant emotional uh, and behaviors uh, related to uh, weight, size, and food. Um, and 
really what happens is the individual becomes all consumed uh, with, again, <laughs> weight, size, and food. Uh, what happens is the individual tends to be uh, really preoccupied with not being satisfied with uh, their appearance, constantly comparing themselves to other people, uh, really feeling a lot of dissatisfaction, which ends up leading them to really go to extreme measures um, behaviorally. And that could mean uh, restricting food, that could mean using laxatives, um, excessive exercise. Uh, Any way possible to just get rid of the food that they've been eating or to stop themselves from eating, right? Well, there's different types of eating disorders, um, and usually it's a lot more complicated than that. Um, so it's not just about food. There's also a lot of underlying issues related to self-esteem. Sometimes there's what we call, you know, well, depression, anxiety, uh, things like that. Now, not everybody that might be struggling with food uh, is necessarily going to get a clinical diagnosis. It starts to become a clinical diagnosis when it starts affecting their uh, daily functioning, when it now they're having, you know, it's causing interpersonal uh, issues uh, and the relationships are having problems. Um, they're feeling very dissatisfied with themselves. It's affecting their work life um, and, again, all-consuming for them. Mm -hmm. I think also it's important to to realize that when we talk about eating disorders, it's not really the uh, like abstaining from food or staying away from food because uh, compulsive overeating is also considered an eating disorder. So basically what we're saying is that these disorders, it's the use of food or the lack of, you know, uh, the food is what's being used to deal with these emotions. Mm -hmm. So whether it's abusing, um, you know, not abusing, but basically overeating, basically using that as a coping mechanism most times, uh, or not having, having food, depriving yourself of food, or just an unhealthy behavior around food and body uh, is is the you know common theme with eating disorders. And so where does that come from then? You were talking about, you know, this is something that uh, is, is used as a coping mechanism one way or another. So what kind of issues could be going on for that person that can lead them to this kind of behavior? Hmm. So when we're looking at eating disorders, we're looking at it from biopsychosocial model. So what that means, it's a fancy term. Yeah, it's we like, look what's at that? Yeah. yeah, we look at the biology. Yes. Um, so we look at genetics. If there's um, eating disorders in the family, um, things like that. Uh, but how we say it is, is that genetics loads the gun and environment pulls the trigger, basically. So there's the biology part. Um, the psychological part. So where are you psychologically? Are you struggling with self-esteem? Are you struggling with anxiety and you don't know how to manage it? And so mm -hmm. you're trying to manage it through controlling your body and food intake um, and, and social. So diet culture, for instance, social media, this uh, glamorizing of thinness, um, people feeling that I have to... In I have to be this body shape in order to be worthy of love, for instance. Um, so we're looking at different um, aspects. It, it is so important um, to kind of break it down. 
in just a moment, I want to come back uh, with the two of you. Raham, I know that you've got your own experiences with eating disorders. Mm-hmm. I would love so much for you to share your story. Um, but just to kind of, you know, break down as well, what are the kind of warning signs mm-hmm. that we should be looking for for ourselves and for our loved ones as well, you know, in terms of somebody who might be going through issues that are manifesting in an mm-hmm. eating disorder. So we're going to come back and talk about that next right here on Life Beats on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. This is Life Beats. Life Beats with Sally Musa, only on Pulse 95. We're talking eating disorders today, and this is uh, something that um, has really touched a nerve with people today. I I put out on social media um, that we were going to do this show, and a lot of people responded back, and and, uh, some even saying, um, my mom has an eating disorder that um, she doesn't even know that she has uh, because uh, she's incredibly uh, careful about food. She tracks every little bite that she has. She avoids eating, even though the house is full of healthy food. Um, I, th- I think there's a name for that. Orthorexia. Is that right? Um, the kind of the, you know, the obsession with healthy food all the time. So orthorexia is something that's being talked about more. Um, but it's actually not in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, which is it's the DSM, which is the book that we use as psychologists and psychiatrists to actually make diagnoses. So it's actually not in there, but it's something that um, I think is being researched more, um, mm. and it's obsession with um, health, wellness, and clean eating, <laughs> um, basically. Um, but obviously it becomes uh, all-consuming again. Mm. So this is where it, you know, you really draw the line. It just becomes all-consuming. You have to be obsessed with it because, uh, you know, it is uh, covering up uh, other kinds of behaviors and other kinds of um, issues and feelings. Now, you know, I I want to kind of um, think about in terms of the warning signs, you know, when we we might see in ourselves because this is this is the weird thing it becomes gray because sometimes somebody says oh i'm fasting today um or you know like they might have different things that they're saying that they're doing but actually it's masking a much bigger problem um or they say oh i'm going really healthy i have to track everything that i eat Mm -hmm. they're literally tracking things like cherry tomatoes or something Mm -hmm. like that um you, you know so what are the warning signs for somebody who's listening right now wondering whether they have an issue or maybe they see someone in the family and they think, well, I'm not sure if he or she does as well. Raham. I think when it comes, it is a very gray area and it's really hard to tell. I mean, it would have to be someone that has gone through it really and, and knows all the little tips and tricks and things that might you might actually do, but a lot of eating disorders actually. Um, I think the important thing is the fear. So, for example, Dr. Khadija was talking about orthorexia. Now, how do we tell the difference between someone who is just very, very into health, wellness, exercise, and someone who does have an eating disorder? I would say that's fear. So when, you, when you're starting to realize you, are, you want to eat something else and there's just a, you just cannot get yourself to do it, that's that's a warning sign. I, I 
I want to, but I can't. Mm. So it starts to become very rigid. Your world becomes smaller and smaller. Okay, well, I can't go out with family because they're going to have these different foods. And I'm, I just, I can't, if that makes sense at all. And it's, it's this fear. And then you start to isolate yourself because you just want to keep doing these uh, or going through these behaviors, these, mm. you know, uh, disordered behaviors. Mm. Um, and before you know it, it's like she said, all consuming. Mm. So you're, you know, avoiding your job, you're avoiding school because, you know, the other kid. It's, it's all of these different things. So that obsession, and we use obsession very lightly now, but obsession with fear, with, and most likely a lot of these people will not share these things so openly mm. a lot of times it's I you know I don't want someone to know just how far I take it or because you know there's a gut there's a gut feeling that tells you I this doesn't feel like normal this doesn't feel normal anymore yeah 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 for sure I, I want you to ask you as well um, Reham, about your own personal experience when it comes to um, dealing with eating disorders mm. and, and and what happened to you well, here's the thing. I know we talked about the age of, um, you know, girls dealing with eating disorders is younger and younger and younger. And we're quick to say it's because of how we are today and how social media is today and all of that. But I, my eating disorder, disorder started at the age of 10. And this was early 90s. So, and of course, I was not exposed to a lot of media at that time. There was there no, was social, no media. social media. Yeah. No, there wasn't anything like that. And I had no, you know, I, I wasn't as aware when it came to body and body size and things like that. So it gives me that I understand now how it can start without it really being about your body either, you know. Um, what was it about for you? Well, we do talk about a lot of the underlying issues. So I did have a lot of anxiety at that time. Um, I did. I was a. I was very much a perfectionist as a child, and so when there's things, we moved a lot as as you know kids. So you know, I'm while I won't be able to pinpoint the exact reason, um, I I do see how you know there. There are feelings of, okay, well, this is something I can control if I can't control everything else. And then it starts to become these rigid little behaviors. Oh, God, I have to eat this this way and this this way. So there's OCD as well in there. You know, just a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. So, of course, as I got older, it it did start to, the body image things did start to come up. But we do see this a lot if if a young girl is dealing with a lot um, in and around you know that age and they have a predisposition to these things whether it's anxiety and you know or an eating disorder let's say genetically then it will start to show itself mm. um, and of course I didn't tell anyone at that time, obviously. But um, you, you were losing weight and, and, you know, was it something that would show outwardly, though? I don't think it was as noticeable, which is a very big misconception uh, because it went on for 19 years. And yes, I did go f through different phases. Now, it was just as bad in my head the whole 19 years, 
But only some of those years was I at a severely underweight, uh, severely underweight and, you know, had to deal with all the physical complications. But uh, emotionally, it was the same. So and I was able to function. I had great jobs. I was able to keep going. Mm -hmm. But it it did affect a lot of things in my life. So that thing we were talking about, you know, your world gets smaller, you isolate, you're avoiding everything else so that you can, you know, keep going with these behaviors. That's kind of what it started to become. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not always at a young age because of these, th- you know, the social media we're being exposed to. So we do have to be careful uh, with that. You, c- you could take that away from your child, but if there is a predisposition, something will m- could show up, you know. So, but yeah. is it something that is increasing, uh, Dr. Khadija? The social media, the exposure to social media, is it increasing the prevalence of um, eating disorders? Hmm. I mean, it's uh, it's an interesting question. It's uh, hard to know if it's just being more uh, recognized now uh, and being uh, diagnosed more frequently mm-hmm. because there's more awareness about eating disorders. Um, or if, you know, there are uh, more uh, influences, you know, in our environment. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a hard one to really pinpoint. Mm-mm-mm. We'll talk more about it in just a moment. There are uh, others who are sharing their stories as well. Don't forget, you can get in touch 4215 on the text lines or you can get us on Instagram, DM us at Pulse95 Radio. I want to come back to uh, your story as well, uh, Reham, and, and talk a little bit more about that. What you said about control, uh, I think, is really important. I've heard that a lot from others who have been texting in as well. So we're going to um, discuss that and so much more next on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. This is Life Beats. Life Beats with Sally Musa, only on Pulse95. Such an interesting and um, important discussion here today with uh, Dr. Khadija Musa and uh, Raham Rashid uh, from Wise Mind Center. We are talking uh, eating disorders, but I didn't realize how many types there were. There's so many different types, and um, there are ones that look really similar. Uh, th- th- can you just take us through some of these, Dr. Khadija? Yeah, of course. Um, There's quite a few different types of eating disorders, um, but I can go over some of the ones that most people um, have heard about. So anorexia nervosa is one of them. Mm. And what that characterizes is, uh, you know, obviously disturbed view in regards to their body, uh, restricting food, low body weight, uh, and things like that. Then we have bulimia nervosa, which is characterized by uh, binging uh, and purging. So it doesn't have to be purging, but there has to be a compensatory behavior. So after the binge, uh, the person uh, will often overexercise, use laxatives, things like that. And then one of the newer uh, types that's been put in the DSM is the binge eating disorder, and that was uh, diagnosable in 2013. And binge eating disorder is um, different than bulimia because there's no purging, so no self-induced vomiting. Um, But there's uh, rituals around food. Um, Sometimes a person could be um, 
you know, eating large quantities of food over in an hour or two period where they're feeling very full. There's a lot of shame and guilt after eating. Um, sometimes it's zoning out at night um, and just eating large quantities. Um, there's also other specific uh, types. Um, there's uh, anorexia nervosa, the atypical type, uh, which means that they can have all the uh, characteristics except be of average weight. Mm -hmm. um, and something to keep in mind is that you, you can't tell if somebody has an eating disorder based on weight, um, uh, body shape, size. Um, so that's often a misconception. This is what you alluded to as well, Raham, in your story, that it didn't show on the outside, but you were dealing with it yeah. uh, on the, <laughs> you know, every single day for 19 years. Exactly. Um, it, it was. I mean, it was something... And a lot of times, actually, you don't want it to show. Exactly. But you want to keep, I mean, 19 years, if it was, people struggle with this for long periods of time. A lot of people that you talk to, years and years and years. So if we were to say, once you're anorexic, you're just going to lose weight until you die. I mean, some people are, are dealing with this for such long periods of time. And it's never... It's rarely like that, if you know what I mean. And so nobody was able to tell for the longest time. I probably, I think it started at the age of 10. I only started telling um, people in my 20s. Um, but nobody had an idea, you know. Uh, so it was, I, I do know now that there's, there's, there's no way to tell just based on looks. Right. You can't really tell if someone has an eating disorder or not. You talk to them, though, and you might be able to tell. So, yeah. Yeah. Early detection is really important, though. Mm -hmm. um, the earlier <coughs> that you can kind of catch on to the signs and symptoms, um, you know, the better chance you have for treatment. And oftentimes, you know, when people are going to see their GPs, that's the opportunity um, for the GP to really ask a lot of questions. Um, but how would you know? Because you don't want to, like, assume. But like you said, it doesn't show, Reham. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, how, well, how might a parent or a doctor or somebody kind of get that inkling that somebody's dealing with something like this? Yeah. Well, I think to just ask a lot of questions related to um, their thoughts around their, their body, their, their food consumption, their, their habits and routines around mm. that, mm. Um, and to really, you know, pay attention. And if they lose, say they go to their GP and the next time they've lost 10 pounds, you know, not to say, hey, you look great, glad you lost 10 pounds. Instead, ask questions, okay? Because it might not always be such a healthy thing. Um, so it's just being a little bit more mindful, I think, um, and more acute to what might be going on. Is it, is it more, I would imagine, because I'm thinking, uh, like you said, that person who's going through it doesn't mm -hmm. want to talk about it. Yeah. Doesn't want to reveal things. Yeah. Uh, you know, it would be so difficult for a parent of someone, you know, maybe who's going through that. Maybe it, you can see the changes, like you said, they've lost 10 pounds, whatever it is. Uh, and you need to just be really in tune with what's going on. But maybe on the other hand, they're hiding a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it, breaking through that, how do you break through that and, um, you know, establish the trust where that person is A, going to realize that they have a problem and B, going to seek out help? 
I think that um, it really does. I mean, here, this is something we see. We see that um, young people that are dealing with eating disorders or just issues around eating and, and body that have the opportunity to communicate openly within their family mm. about these things and not feel either shame or judgment uh, do have a, a better opportunity to recover or to, you know, um, stop that behavior earlier. Mm. Um, but what happens is when there, there isn't an opportunity to share the concerns they're having or, you know, the, yeah, to be basically to open up about, you know, they are comparing themselves to, you know, other people and it feels almost like you're doing something wrong and there's something that you don't understand that somebody else probably knows better than you. There's always that you're judging yourself first, usually, because we're comparing. I, this this was the most important thing that was said, said to me. A lot of times we don't realize we're comparing our inner selves to someone's outer self. So we're looking at somebody else the way they look on the outside and we're comparing uh, and I think kids need to, to understand that as well. Um, and the that behavior is modeled by the parent as well to also show that they don't really understand it either. And they are being affected by this. And, you know, they're they're having a hard time with all these images that they're seeing as well. Do you know what I mean? Like to show to, to share show that f- vulnerability that as it's well. okay to be affected by yeah. this let's talk about it I yeah. mean I don't understand either and you know maybe we can approach this differently you know I don't want to feel this way do you want to feel this way that those kinds of conversations are really important and it's the same thing with friends it's the same thing it's just we're not dealing we're not treating just an eating disorder here we're essentially de- treating a whole society and that is extremely difficult it's got to be a lot more holistic exactly than you know just going in and clinically treating something like this yeah because they are going back out into the world and that that has had been the case for me I mean the the bubble of treatment uh is all good until you're back out in the real world where everything you know you have to learn how to you know stay strong in your recovery through all these images that you're seeing every day. I want to, yeah, I want to come back uh, in just a moment and talk about the treatment. You know, how do you go through treatment for something like this? And and to kind of, you know, uh, again, talk about um, uh, the the whole idea of control. Mm -hmm. Um, If you feel like you've lost control in other areas of your life, then, you know, you may go to an eating disorder to to feel like you have some kind of control. So this is really important. We'll come back with that and so much more, plus uh, comments, questions and stories from our listeners next on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. This is Life Beats. Life Beats. With Sally Musa, only on Pulse95. Yes, we are back talking uh, all things eating disorders this hour and a, a lot to talk about uh, with Dr. Khadija and also Riham. They are both here from Wise Mind uh, Center. And, you know, this is such a big topic for so many reasons. Uh, a lot of people suffer and they don't talk about it. Some, some don't even know that they have it. But it's important to um, say, and you reminded me of this, uh, Dr. Khadija, that this is actually... Um, 
something, uh, eating disorders causes the most deaths of any psychiatric disorder. So um, it's just quite incredible to think that, you know, uh, if, if you do have somebody who is suffering with this kind of thing, whether it's anorexia, bulimia, whatever, just simply refeeding them could actually kill them. This is, you know, something I didn't even realize. Yeah, so there's different, obviously, eating disorders are on a spectrum, and there's different types. Um, when we're talking about refeeding, that's typically with anorexia nervosa. Um, there's different levels of care, so um, you can start off with outpatient facility, um, so visiting a clinic and working with a therapist, uh, maybe even a psychiatrist or a nutritionist. Uh, this is usually most helpful for those who are already motivated to change and kind of already recognize that they have an issue, but um, it hasn't reached a level where they're uh, medically compromised or something like that. So. If they are really struggling, then they can move on to a partial hospitalization program, meaning they go uh, to a place all day where they sit in groups, um, they have a therapist, they might even have a meal, um, to a more supervised setting, which would be a residential or inpatient hospitalization. And this is more for folks that are having a really difficult time in their recovery and need the extra supervision. They need the psychiatrist there, they need the nurse, uh, they need to make sure that um, their meals are being monitored, um, and they have that structure and routine um, in place because it might be too difficult for them to do it on their own uh, or with family support. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, there's um, different levels of care. When we're talking about young people though, um, you know, those of the age of nine, those of the age of 10, an incredible number now are being hospitalized as well. But what about those who are not quite at that level yet? How do you reach out to somebody who's so young about this topic when they might not even be self-aware? They might not be um, able to think around, you know, these kind of issues. Uh, I think the, the parent being not you know knowledgeable about these things and mm. and obviously noticing the signs uh, schools I feel like schools have a responsibility to to see that I think I mean I remember even my school the nurses kind of had some sort of background of noticing when girls were you know um, showing up at the nurse's office way too often uh, fainting or something like that so the nurses did have some um, knowledge about it but I think it is the responsibility of community as a whole to kind of provide areas where if there is something going on we would notice it I mean we it is very complicated but we would notice if there was anything else going on with these kids mm. you know if uh, they were dealing it is important to see it I mean it's dangerous in children they are very young and they are growing and it's much easier to deal to to get to the medical complication stage mm. when they're children um so yeah i feel like it's the responsibility of the community as a whole yeah yeah and i think uh you know uh, Riham has a good point in regards to schools um and i think what we're talking about is you know in general for mental health we need more awareness so we need uh, kids and parents to know what eating disorders are um, so that we can intervene and have a plan in place. Um, 
uh, in regards to if we notice a child is struggling in some way. Yeah. Um, so education is so important um, uh, all around. <laughs> For sure, yeah. For I, I think it would be unfair to say that children don't know because the truth is, I mean, studies have been done and you'll ask any six, seven-year-old and they've probably tried to get on a diet at some point. This has been, you know, we've been reading more and more about it. They're six years old, seven years old. They already know what a diet is. They know that is becoming a an acceptable, the behaviors are becoming an acceptable part of our culture. And of course, it's not always going to result in an eating disorder, but if you hear your child saying, I'm on a diet, no, I'm not eating that because it has too much fat, that's that's your opportunity to to address it there, you know? Like, you're, you're young, you shouldn't have to worry that much. I get that you're trying to be healthy and those kinds of things. Culturally as well, you know, there are um, misconceptions and barriers as well. I need you to share your story of what you were told when you tried to talk about it. Well, I mean, back then there wasn't... Uh, there wasn't that much awareness regarding eating disorders in the Middle East. So um, I had told a doctor um, when I was at a, a significantly low weight um, that I, I, I told him that I was dealing with anorexia. He didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, so I was basically told, you know, this is something that happens a lot to girls in the West. And, you know, we shouldn't adopt those behaviors kind of thing. And it hadn't really occurred to me in that way before, but I remember thinking, oh no, I really need you to understand because I need help and you're being judged. So that when you come out and say, finally, that you have this issue, to, to feel judged could reverse it. I mean, luckily for me, it just made me find any other alternative um, to get help. Mm -mm -mm. But that could cause a lot of harm, actually. So like I was saying, it's the responsibility of schools, it's the responsibility of doctors and clinicians. And judgment is such a big one, though, isn't it? Shame is, all, you know, with, with all mental health uh, issues in general, we deal with a lot of shame. And this is just one of them, you know? Yeah. I mean, the behaviors can be accepted culturally, but the shame surrounding the fear that you have and all the things that are actually going on that can be a barrier to getting recovery. I just want to quickly uh, read one of the comments uh, that came in. Uh, this story uh, is uh, shared by Lena. She says, uh, I was a healthy weight most of my life. And uh, then she says, I'm not sure when the turning point was exactly. Suddenly, I became obsessive with how I looked. I would work out twice a day and count everything I ate. I carried a food diary around or put notes in my phone, but I never really realized what I was doing or how harmful it was. I would count things like uh, edamame beans um, and just uh, picked or grazed at food. I also had a total warped sense of what I looked like and thought I was severely overweight, although I was really skinny. And uh, she says this was about 10 years ago. She is 33 now. Uh, she says, I then suddenly put on a lot of weight and developed thyroid issues, which were probably probably underlying, but totally triggered by my restric restrictive diet. I've gotten past all of it and learned how to love my body, but I still have issues with food. I eat when I'm angry. I hide certain things I eat, for example, having fast food in the car or sneaking out of my room to get a jar of Nutella or putting Coke in a mug. 
I feel like this is wrong and it's shameful, although no one is judging but myself. Um, she says, I've heard other people say the same thing, uh, particularly eating uh, in the car. It is so common. Uh, she says, uh, my sister could grab a burger and I wouldn't think twice, but I'm always like, you know, on, I wouldn't eat that. But then I would eat the leftover nuggets at 2 a.m. So, uh, you know, this is this is, you know, what she that what she says. And she, you know, asked the question as well. How uh, do you tell parents, hey, watch out for your girls and boys? She says um, they might not be OK uh, when they don't even think or believe in this kind of stuff. Dr. Khadija. Yeah. And Hmm, that's a that's thank you for sharing that story though. Um, sounds like uh, she was able to really um, at some point realize that wow, like I'm really struggling here and uh, be self-aware enough to to know and try to get you know try to help herself or get mm. the support that she needed. Um, Would you say that it's definitely you know making sure that parents are open to this? You know like. In your situation, around the doctor wasn't even like on on board with it, right. uh, but just kind of like you said, bringing out that awareness. Yeah, again, it's like we talked about it's the responsibilities of of the community to try to bring awareness because um, it's not the child's responsibility to uh, teach the parent. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think that parent needs needs that coming from another adult. Um, and I mean, my suggestion is, is, you know, try to learn, try to pay attention to your kids, uh, research, uh, reach out to, you know, uh, a professional. Um, yeah. 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 I think also there's it's really important. I, and I did hear that she said, you know, I've heard other people say this, too. Mm -hmm. I think that's something really important we need to to you know, shed the light on because we hear other people saying it, but we won't admit it. You know, we hear other, like we could hear someone die in our life say, you know, I'm dealing with this, this, and you know, you're going through it too, but you don't share it, you know? And that's where the conversation starts. Sometimes, listen, in societies like ours where, no, there isn't that much information and maybe our parents don't know, you know, this is something that they didn't, they never talked about really. Um, maybe for people our age, but, you know, we find that support in other people um, that are dealing with the same thing. But we, we don't do that often enough. Well, I'm hoping that people are going to get uh, inspired by this show to think about it. Look out for those around them, their friends, their loved ones as well. Start the conversation as well if you think something could be going on or seek help yourself i want to thank the two of you thank you so much Shaham. thank you so much dr khadija appreciate this so much and i have a feeling we're going to need to do a follow-up show because uh, <laughs> there's a lot around this so thank you both so much for this today this is pulse 95 tune in live every weekday from 10 a.m